Hey, Mr. Kennedy. Uh-oh. Outer space. Hey, guys. This is Alon, and welcome to another episode of I Finally Watched. And this is David, and today I finally watched Inside Lewin Davis. So, as promised, uh, we... Well, you have now watched Inside Lewin Davis. We are recording this episode, and I'm very, very excited because, like we mentioned before, I really wanted you to watch this uh, movie for a while now. We never got around to it. Um, your reason of starting the podcast was for In Bruges. Mine was for Inside Lewin Davis. And now we've completed the cycle of most anticipated movies that we have wanted the other to watch. And um, yeah, I I just love this movie. It, I discovered it kind of like accidentally, went into it kind of blind. Um, I knew it was by the Coen brothers, but other than that, you know, I've never heard of Oscar Isaac before this. This was my, also my first introduction to Adam Driver. Um, I, this movie has such like a, a calm tone to it that I could just watch it, you know, at any point in my life. It, but it's it's not a calm movie. It's a movie about how basically one guy, the most unluckiest guy, and everything bad in the world could happen to him under any circumstance. But somehow I just find that so cathartic in a way. Uh, but yeah, I, I love Oscar Isaac in this. I didn't know Oscar Isaac could sing. And I'm curious to to find out what your opinion of this uh, of this film is. Well, not only can Oscar Isaac sing, but actually before he started acting, he was in a ska band, which I read on the internet like a couple months ago. Oh, I didn't know that. So, and then I was also, at, you know, as I was watching this, first of all, I love the movie. Um, I, I don't think like the worst stuff in the world happens to him. It's, it's uh, a lot of it's maybe self-inflicted. And then also, you know, he does have a lot of friends for someone who doesn't really, I don't know, provide to society in any meaningful way, it seems. Well, what's interesting is this is like my fifth, sixth time watching the movie. And I'm noticing things that I've never noticed before. Like, he's like really a dick. Absolutely. Um, it, it starts off with... Um, well, actually, it doesn't start off with that. It starts off with him explaining that he was a dick the night before, which we'll get into the ending because I watched this twice. And it confu- I understand it completely, but watching it the first time, I got confused. And then I was like, all right, I don't watch the second time to like pick up on more. And I was like going into it. I was like, oh, wait, I'm still confused. All right, now I get it again. I get yeah, how, yeah. It, how it worked. It's funny because I got it like completely this on my second watch also. Um, but he... I like when it's like a, the second or third scene when they go in, he goes to, to the nightclub with Jim and Gene to watch that uh, the guy from the army that's uh, performing. And the guy from the army starts saying like, oh, uh, a special guest I want to bring up here. And he says, himself, I didn't even bring my guitar. And it's like, why would you watch? Assume it's, it's you? Yeah. It, that joke actually to me doesn't make as much sense the second time because then you have the full picture of like, Jim and Gene are kind of 
they're basically at the same level as him almost as far as like fame it seems and so it's like quite obvious that he's not going to be asking you to come up there but it's like this what lewin davis like thinks of himself exactly um but the thing i want to bring up before is like when when oscar isaac sings you can completely tell that it's his voice at least i could and i was like oh wow you know that's his voice he's singing right the only one who i didn't think was carrie mulligan because her voice her voice sounded really great but i was like that doesn't really sound like it would be her singing voice but that was her singing as well oh it was was okay Yeah. yeah, it said that her, um, obviously Justin Timberlake, yeah. and then Oscar Isaac, um, and Adam Driver, that was his voice. Like those four were just all singing and they're all singing live. Yeah, no, that's that's so cool. I mean, I there's so, and at, at a surface, this movie would not feel up my alley. You know what I mean? Like if you were to explain this movie about a folk singer who is just down on his luck and he has like a week of it. It's not sounding like a very interesting movie, but the, the characters and just the way the plot pans out to me is one of the most interesting movies I've seen as far as having to deal with like human emotion and like human psyche. Right. And before we like, I guess start getting into the, plot a little bit you said this was the first thing you've seen oscar isaac in but i know it's not because he was in drive with carrie mulligan wait <laughs> as her as her boyfriend okay no i knew that what what's oscar isaac he's the boyfriend he's uh, carrie ryan, mulligan. ryan gosling takes he's carrie the M- guy Mull- that's in jail his name's standard he's her he's carrie mulligan's boyfriend from jail that comes back into their lives and then he ryan gosling tries to help with that that deal and then oscar isaac gets shot in the back i okay fair but i had no idea that was oscar isaac right oh and then i i just looked up what i've seen him from and it's the ice cube mike epps movie all about the benjamins circa 2002 which i guess i'm you're saying Probably that's your saying I've you're, seen. You're saying that's your first time seeing Oscar Isaac? Oh, I don't remember him at all. I don't think he had a big part, but I just um, thought it was funny, like seeing how far back. It yeah, would I go. mean, okay. I mean, not knowing that, sure, but okay. Let me put it this way, then. This is the first movie I remember seeing Oscar Isaac in, and also Adam Driver. And now looking back on it, I was like, you know, Oscar Isaac, Adam Driver. Star Wars and now this is just kind of like a Star Wars must have been kind of a weird reunion, right? Right. They're they were somewhat acquaintances in this and then mortal enemies in that. And that was only that was only a couple of years later, 2015, when that came out. So this was 2013. And, um, and you know, I love the Cohen brothers style of filmmaking, right? I mean, I'm a big fan of their their work, but and okay. Honest to God, this might just have to do with the fact that Adam Driver is in this. But did this feel like a bombback movie a little bit? It's just because Driver was in it and that's Damn what it. you associated him with. Damn it. Which, by the way, my first Adam Driver movie was Francis Ha. Just okay. to run full circle. Congratulations. So, so I, I like the way that this... The, the, my major takeaway from this movie, and I like the way it opens too, is the songs. Yeah. I think all the music is pretty incredible from this and makes me want to i think i'll probably like get the soundtrack after this 
Yeah, I, I, I tell that to myself every time. I was like, I'm going to buy the soundtrack, and I never do. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do one better. I'm going to buy the vinyl, because I really want the vinyl to this. <laughs> if only you could get the Inside Lewin Davis cover like for, that he shows uh, Bud Grossman. <laughs> I'm going to look it up. Go ahead. But uh, yeah, um, the music is incredible. And then, so that leads to the next scene where he gets beat up. And I think that guy in the dark alley is like the most one of the most Coen brothers character in this movie besides maybe John Goodman in the car, but just like the way, the weird way he fucking talks and just, um, you're funny, man, you funny, man, like just repeats himself. And like that whole scene, first of all, was making me like angry. Cause it's like, you know, he's like this guy standing in the shadows is about to punch you. Like, why are you just like still talking to him? <laughs> Um, and I obviously, my first watch, didn't know what was going to happen. Right. Um, or why, really. Right. And then it, uh, it goes back in time after that, and he wakes up with a cat on him. What I love about that, and we'll get way more into it, you know, when we talk about the ending, but it doesn't tell you that you've jumped back in time. There's no, no. hint. Like, this could be what I thought my first time watching, this is the next morning. No, and that's, yeah, that's obviously the point of it. And I think, I think when I figured it out, I'm trying, I've literally just confused myself again on uh, like how it, it ended up working because it, it so, really, it doesn't get back to present time until he's singing on stage. But, right. So basically at the beginning of the movie, he's talking to the club owner and he's like, hey, sorry about last night. Uh, and he's like, yeah, whatever, no problem. Uh, there's a guy out back, you know, your friend. And he's like, my friend, whatever. And he goes out back, sees the guy in the hat, gets the shit beat out of him. And then at the end of the movie, it's this whole workup from Carrie Mulligan saying like, hey, he, you get to sing at this club again. And I guess he goes there the day before, sees the woman singing, talks shit about the woman, the older woman singing. And then when he is somehow still invited back the next night, that's, that's when the movie starts. Right. Yeah. When he starts singing the next night, but I, I wonder where, when did it click for you that something was up with the timeline? Cause for me, when Carrie says, Carrie Mulligan says, Oh, I've talked to him and you're going to get to sing again. He's like, he doesn't let people sing, you know, I've already sang this month. And I was like, well, this month you sang like four days ago. And then when he starts yelling at that woman on stage, I was like, Oh wait, that's, this is him getting messed up. And I'm like, so when did we go back in time? Cause we had to have. And that's when I like was trying to put it together. And then I think once he starts singing that last thing, that's when it like clicks with you. But when right. you first start singing, seeing him yell at that woman, you're like, wait a second, how did we get here? Which is, I think, a very unique way of telling the story. No, it is. And I mean, an easy way to do it is when you take the beginning of the movie, when the guy punches him out and it like cross fades to him waking up in that apartment with the cat, you could just remove that part of the movie up till then, watch the movie, watch the movie congruently. And that's just like a, a, a linear timeline from there. Right, but what also throws you off is he wakes up with the cat in the like first 10 minutes of the movie, 
But then in the last 10 minutes of the movie, he wakes up with the cat again. And that's what threw me off the second time watching. It was like, wait, wait a second. And I was like, no, wait, this is just his life repeating over because this is what Lewin Davis's life is, is constantly moving from bed to bed. Yeah, exactly. And one of the geniuses parts that I've actually, I, I noticed um, this watch is that when he wakes up with the cat at the end of the movie again, and he's about to do the same mistake, but he kicks the cat back indoors, closes the door. It puts a, it puts like a thought in the audience's head, like, oh, maybe he'll finally get his life together now. But then the movie ends with the shit getting kicked out of him. And it's like, no, nope, not, not, not today. Well, I think you may still get that impression, but it, the, the kicking the cat back in almost to me, like, gave this like a Groundhog's Day feel of like Bill Murray learning his lessons on like these bad things that happened to him the first day and like fixing it. Right. Um, but which by the way, so when he's in the, uh, the Gore finds apartment and he looks at the, the, the vinyl of him and his former um, Mike, I think Mike Timlin, you know, bandmate. Yeah. Uh, they start singing, he starts playing the song and that's actually Marcus Mumford of Mumford and Sons singing that Mike Timlin part. What? Right. Who is the husband of Carrie Mulligan, which is also pretty cool. And I don't know when they met. They may have met on this, but they may have met before that. But Oh, damn. That's um, really cool. I mean, okay. So here's the thing, right? There's actually a lot more that I want to talk about the ending. So let's start at the beginning. Let's start when, which he, beginning? Wakes, when he wakes up and he lets the cat out. Because I feel like that, there's, that, that is kind of like the catalyst of everything. Right. I mean, I, I don't think there's not much that goes on. You know, he, you see him on the subway carrying the cat and he's like looking at the little kids and he's looking at the old guy. He loses the cat a little bit, which is like foreshadowing of, you know, what's to come. Um, one thing that I found interesting is uh, I was reading up that the, the Coens actually like hated having to deal with the cats. I'm sure. And what they ended up having to do is like they, the first person they talked to about, you know, how to get a cat to do what they wanted was basically like, you just sort of have to hope that they do what they want. Like she's like, dogs are so much better for this. And so they ended up just getting a bunch of different orange tabby cats that could do one or two things that they were like willing to do. And so they just had to film different ones, like one running out of the window and then like one running down, you know what I mean? Just like, wow. Drinking it's, milk. It's funny too. Cause um, uh, this is, my and the extent of my orange tabby cat knowledge but orange female cats are one of the rarest like genetically to find as a female uh because most orange cats are, are male so i find it really really funny right and this is totally to do with just uh lewin davis's horrible luck through the, throughout the movie is that he started out with a male cat and then, of course, he lost it and found a replacement that is the wrong cat. Uh, it's a, but that cat ends up being a female. But the odds of finding a female is like one in 800. And I was like, that's really freaking funny. I also like the, uh, the phone call with Mr. Gorfine where they set up that it's a male cat because he says, I'll bring her back. And he's like, well, it's a him. Just remember, it's a him. You know, just setting up for the audience that like that's going to be important. Another phone call, sorry, but um, you said, you know, when he lost the cat on the subway, that was foreshadowing. Before 
that he was trying to pass it off to the to the elevator operator yeah. operator guy right and then he gets on a payphone outside the building and he wants to leave a message with Gorfine's secretary at the university right right and she misunderstands him and she's like lewin is the cat and for some reason this one this time watching it stuck with me and i was like obviously the cat's a metaphor but if you look at it like as as a whole metaphor through the film that Lewin is the cat. It's really cool, like when the cat escapes or gets lost. Look at how like Lewin Davis goes about his life, and it's always easier without the cat. And it's almost like he's his own worst enemy. And that's, I mean, that's the way I took it at least. He's almost. He's also too kind of like a cat himself. He's an asshole. He sort of just like messes up other people's lives. Although, I I will say that uh, Jean Carrie Mulligan is, uh, she's sort of like a little, mostly annoying in the beginning because she kind of puts a lot of blame on Lewin Davis when in reality, like she's just as much to blame for the predicament they're in. Right. Um, but one, one scene I like before we get to that, when, you know, uh, Lewin Davis finds out he is going to become a dad maybe, uh, was when he visits his uh, his manager, Mel. Mm, mm-hmm. And Mel's like, he's like, can I get some money? And Mel's like, oh, well, you know, you're, you know you're not really making anything. He's like, well, I, I need a coat. And so he like pretends to give him his coat. And he's like, I don't want this bullshit bluff. He's like, a bluff? Get out of here right now. He's like, okay, I'll take the coat. And he's like, ah, let me give you $40. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, man, there's just so many, so many parts of this movie that I absolutely love. Um, when he comes back to Mel's and he's like, the secretary is like, Oh, Mel's not here. And she's like, he's like, Oh, I'm just here for my mail. She's like, no, you're not. You never get mail. You don't have mail. <laughs> no you one sends looking. you anything. No one sends you anything. Um, and then that leads to another one of my favorites where, so Adam driver's in this and he plays this character, Al Cody. And <laughs> The the Mel secretary gives him like a big box of like his old his uh Lewin's old records, right? Which he decides to keep for some reason. And he goes to put them like under a, uh, a bedside table or like a living room table in uh, Al Cody's apartment. Yeah, and just to find like a box of Al Cody's own vinyls, and basically he's just like he just left. He just left Al Cody's from there. He's like fuck this shit. I don't know. I don't think he left. I think he ends up. He ends up staying there because that's how he gets that no, car. No, no, ride. but I mean, he leaves. Like he leaves the apartment to do some other stuff. Right. I I did wonder where those records went. Did he just end up leaving them at Al Cody's for good? Because if you think about it, Al Cody after that, and I do want to get back to some other parts, but Al Cody after after saying that Lewin can stay with him, says I have to go up to Jersey to get my mother's car, brings his mother's car down. And then tells Lewin that this car is going to Chicago tomorrow because a friend of his needs to drive like a jazz legend or whatever, who's going to be John Goodman to Chicago and then back. And then Lewin takes that Chicago car ride. And then once uh, Garrett Hedlund gets arrested, just leaves that car with this cat that he stole from the streets. It's like you've burned that Al Cody bridge. Yeah. Like you had to. Well, I mean, I don't, I, I guess, I mean, who, 
Johnny Five is a dumbass for getting arrested in that way, anyways. Like, if Abs- any, anyone's burned the bridge, it's him, right? I mean, I guess, but you left Al Cody's mother's car on the side of a highway with a heroin addict in the back and a cat. <laughs> um, you know, the, at a surface level, this, this, uh, film is just really kind of cut and dry event happens after event happens after event but the the kind of the ethereal feel of it happens i feel like when he's coming back from chicago and he gets that ride with that just random stranger he's like oh my god i haven't slept in days i need you to take the wheel can you drive back to you know wherever and then he hits an animal and it's like the cat, but it's not the cat, but he sees the cat. And I'm like, holy crap. Like, I just love the things that, like, metaphorically they do with Lewin being the cat, you know? Right. But I also thought it was probably the cat. <laughs> the female one. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I want to do, I want to jump back to right after uh, Jean tells Lewin that she's pregnant and they go to that nightclub. Um, one thing I caught on second view is that Lewin asks Jim for money, but it's like, you can't tell Gene. And he's like, well, listen, if I give you the money, Gene's going to find out. And he's like, okay, never mind. And I didn't really think anything uh, thing of it until I realized that he's getting the money for the abortion that he's supposed to be paying for from Jim and Gene. But then once he realizes Gene's going to know about it, he's like, oh, I can't do this anymore. Was that after he, she told him about, yeah, she told him in the apartment on the piece of paper, and they had not talked yet about the fact that she was going to get rid of it. But he is, I think, already in his head planning that's what's going to have to happen. Okay, yeah. I, I, I love the, the teases this movie gets, like, oh, his life is about to work out, or like starting to turn in a, in a positive direction. Uh, one of my favorite scenes is when he goes to the abortion doctor to pay for her abortion and he's like oh no we're good we're square like i tried contacting you but we're you know uh, he's like uh you're doing pro bono work now (laughs) and he's like no the other girl that you wanted to pay for her abortion never showed up well she didn't know she came back and took it said she was going to take it to term whatever the point is is that on one hand now he has enough money to take care of her abortion and his, you know, whatever trip or expenses that he has. And then just to to feed himself, really. Yeah. Just to feed himself. And then just to find out that he has like a possible two year old in Akron. Well, the other funny thing about that too, is when he's asking Jim for money, he he's like, I need to use it to take care of a girl. And Jim's like, again. So you find out that this, he's like, "I'll, I'll, you know, he, and he said, I'm going to pay, I'll pay you back for this and that original loan. So he borrowed money from Jim about two and a half years ago that he still has never paid him back and was asking for it again for the exact same thing. And not only that, but then, I mean, once you find that out, Carrie Mulligan's little monologue about how he should take his, his penis, wrap it in a condom, then double condom it, then wrap it in a trash bag, and then wrap it uh, electrical tape around that. Then it like really starts hitting home like, oh, that's why. Because this has happened like many, many times. 
Yeah, I guess. But at the same time, her, her reaction is just kind of so over the top. And I, I get it because she's freaked out because her, you know, she's planned this whole life with Jim. Like she wants to move to the suburbs. She wants to have kids, but it's like, you fucked that up. So taking that out completely on Lou. And I do like that. He's like, he's like, wow, you've really put yourself in high regard in this situation. And then he's also like, please don't talk to me about the, the double condoms again. He's like, I just, I, I really can't take it. Um, I just think in the beginning, she is like really kind of over the top in her anger, which I think is comes off kind of naturally like that. It, that does make sense. And that's what that character was. Yeah. But I do like the juxtaposition with how she treats him later on. Um, well, it's great later on. And I mean, at the very end, we'll get, well, everything kind of comes really together at the end. I feel like on a lot of like maybe, characters that you might have forgotten or characters that don't seem important now in the middle of the film become more important later. And I really like that about this movie, like details that connect later on. Um, it, the, the, uh, I'm trying to remember. So between. The next thing is the conversation with Gorefine uh, on the subway and we already talked about the male cat versus female cat, but then he finds out about this gig that Jim wants him to do. And he's like yes. screaming, do I need my guitar? And in such a, like, you know, you talk about his bad luck. He asks if he need his, needs his guitar and can't get an answer. So he shows up without his guitar and the guy's like, but you didn't bring your guitar, which it turns out not mattering, but like that, that little, that's like one of those little funny Coen brother moments to put in there, which I liked. Another thing that kind of leads up to that and again circulates like, okay, good luck, right? Has hit him with getting this, this uh, please Mr. Kennedy gig. Uh, but then again, on a circulating, like he caused his own issues and just pure, you know, shit luck. Since he has such like a bad uh, rapport with Mel, his manager, when he goes to sign you know, for the for possible royalties on this song, he, instead of like going to Mel and like dealing with him because they, you know, got off on bad terms last time they talked, he just decides to go for the $200 check. Well, it's actually kind of even funnier that, than that. And it happens again to him later on, but he asks for the money because he needs it to pay for Gene. Right. And he also... Ins- ask for the money because he thinks this is a shitty song so he's like i don't need to get royalties off of this because this isn't going to do anything it's because it's you know he, it's beneath him whatever so he then finds out in the next scene or two that he actually doesn't need the money to pay for gene because of the last time so right. he could have just signed up for royalties which then he later on finds out that this song's probably going to become a huge hit and one of the, the one lady's like man I, I need to get in your racket which is one hit song and you're made for life and, he, and as he's got his 200 dollars in his pocket and not even anymore no and and i mean is that a song is that a real song back in the 60s no so what it was i was reading up on this they tried to um submit that to the oscars but it's really kind of just a combination of a bunch of songs from the sixties. So the, the Oscars just like, that doesn't really work. Cause I, I mean, do think that I was going to say it's catchy as hell. Right. I, do, I love driver in that. Just like saying outer. 
space. No lie. Every time uh, outer space has to be said in Taylor and I's conversation, we say it like Adam Driver. <laughs> Why would you not? <laughs> uh, I, I will say too, we, we, uh, we already talked about the scene where he goes to the doctor and finds out he has a, a, a child. I, I do love the visual of when he gets called back that he's the only man in a waiting room full of women and he's just like there by himself to go talk to the doctor. Um, I just thought that was like really funny, like a real quick scene. So he, he has no issues asking, you know, just anyone he meets for a favor. And maybe that's kind of like a sixties mentality it's like, hey, you know, I need a bum a cigarette. Let me bum a cigarette. Hey, I need a bum a stay. Let me stay at your place. Hey, I need a, I need a car to drive all the way to Chicago. Let me do that with you. And people are just like, yeah, sure. No problem. You know, whatever. And it's just, you know, you would think someone so kind of like shitty would attract shitty people, but somehow he's attracted all these like kind of good hearted people throughout his life. The, the big I, real thing. Real quick. I love when he asks Johnny Five for a cigarette. And Johnny Five says he's out. And the scene later is just Oscar Isaac staring at him as he's lighting a cigarette. Um, yeah, except Johnny Five, right? But that's kind of like Al Cody's deal, which is like, I want to know that story, how Al Cody met Johnny Five, that, that entire thing. With John Goodman, I feel like that's such like a weird Cohen scene in this, in this movie. He's, he plays such a weird character. But that whole car ride brings up such like such interesting character development for Lewin. Right. I could not place the Goodman character reminded me of a character, another character and I could not place like what it reminded me of, but just like the way he talked and the way he just brought up these like name drop stories of like, well, when I was in Montreux, Switzerland, you know, I met a band that was this three piece outfit. Um, but I think it just, I don't, I, I guess I didn't see the development you did. I just love the, the point where he gets tired of it and asks him like, if he stuck that cane all the way up his ass, would a little bit of it stick out or would it go all the way in? I know this doesn't have anything to do with like character development, but for people who haven't seen like the poster or, you know, the title of the movie spelled out, just in mid conversation, John Goodman's like, so what does the N stand for? And, you know, Lewin's like, what? What are you, what the, you know, what the hell are you talking about? He's like, the N in your name, Lou N Davis. I just, I love that kind of like explanation of it. I don't know. It's just, it's, it's an interesting little conversation. Um, and then, yeah, his, the part when about the cane and you can see like Lou N Davis has a temper, you know? Well, he has a temper because the the thing that you can't really bring up in front of him is reminding him of his former partner, Mike. And, uh, you know, he, he gets on the subject that he had a partner and he tells him he jumped off the George Washington Bridge. He's like, that's odd. Traditionally, you would jump off the Brooklyn Bridge, but, you know, whatever. Yeah. John Goodman's a dick in this movie. Absolutely. I do love the whole line after the cane thing where he's just like, well, you'll find that threats and intimidation don't work with me because of this whole thing about how he'll do something to him to where he'll be a thousand miles away laughing is like Lewin Davis is going to have a pain in his side one morning when he wakes up. It's just like, 
fucking crazy town stuff, but it just makes me laugh. But it also makes sense, right? Because, I mean, not it's not... Okay, first of all, it's not like his life was good before meeting John Goodman, but his life certainly did not get better, right? Um, the the over the ODing of heroin in the bathroom of this like Arby's sort of place. I Johnny Five just doesn't have a care in the world. He's like, yeah, this happens. Whatever, get in the car, let's go. And Lewin Davis is like, yeah, what? I I don't care about this guy. His only his only care is if a cop touches him. Apparently. He'll freak out and get arrested. I did think like when the OD happens and then they're driving and Lewin just like leaves the cat and he's just like, I can't handle this anymore. It's like a weird, I, I guess I just don't get the point of it. Of what also doesn't cat. make sense, right? Because the, the cop pulled the car over. Johnny five gets rambunctious. The cop takes Johnny five away and like just forgets about the other two passengers in the car. Like when does that ever happen in reality? Right. Yeah. And then Johnny five took the keys with him. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I, the other thing too is, so then he walks to Chicago and he finally meets the Bud Grossman that the, the guy from the army talked about. And this guy that just owns this big club and can hopefully manage him. And he plays this like really heartfelt song for him. Um, and I was like the whole time I was like, oh, that song's fucking beautiful. And then Bud's like, yeah, I don't know. Just can't really, can't really make money off of that. This one, this whole movie, like there's so many times when someone sings a song, like the army guy sings a song and I'm like, oh, that's really good. And Lewin Davis is shitting on it. Lewin right. Davis sings this song for Bud Grossman. He's shitting on it. The four acapella guys are singing and uh, Lewin Davis is shitting on it. The grandma starts doing her like Scottish Irish thing and he starts shitting on it. It's like, and every time I'm just like, that's good. Movie. I like all of this. <laughs> Yeah, um, and then it kind of puts it in your head uh, that they're like high, super high standards that they all must have. Right, absolutely. Well, I, I think it just tells you that Lewin has this like air of superiority about him um, that he just thinks his music is better than everyone. The Bud Grossman thing is really a reality check for him that it doesn't really matter what you think that you think you're making music that's better than everyone else. It's like this guy who sells music, who sells acts just doesn't think yours is something people are going to like. Um, and it's like right after that trip. And then he, you know, he drives back and he sees the sign for Akron where his, his child may be. And, you know, you talked about um, one of the last movies we did, I think it was in Bruges where you said this movie, like it played with your expectations of what you thought was going to happen. And this movie does an amazing job of that. One, because of the way the beginnings cut. But then two, it brings up this idea of like he has this child in Akron. And then it brings up this idea of like he's going to go back to his life in the Merchant Marines. Right. And then it's, it's like shows you this like great concert he has at the end where the entire crowd is just looking at him like rapturously. And like someone from the Times is there. You're like, oh, maybe his life will pick up. And then it's just like, none of that happens. The movie just ends. Yep. Um, which is funny too, because I read a quote that uh, one of the Coen brothers was like, we were really worried for a while that this movie didn't have a plot, which is why we threw the cat in there. <laughs> That's funny. Did you know that uh, Adam Driver decided not to watch um, his performances anymore after Inside Lewin Davis? 
because he hated his uh, performance so much that he was worried that he would then become so self-aware of his performances in other movies that he swore off like watching his own performance. I mean, I thought it was fine in this. Like, it was. It wasn't like a really like big part. I mean, I mean, you know, he's great and everything else I've seen him in. So, uh, one thing I do want to bring back because there's a couple like through lines through the the plot. One is his sister. Yeah. In the beginning, and how he like goes to her and she has this box of his stuff and he's like, I don't want that. Which is funny because he doesn't want that box of his old stuff. But then this box of all of his records that no one wants and he doesn't know what to do with, he decides to keep. Um, And so then after the Chicago trip, he's like, oh, you know, I'm going to go back into the Merchant Marines. And so he got this $200 that he didn't have to use for Gene. And so he pays back his past dues. And then he then goes to his sister to get his license back because he needs it. And she's like, I threw that out. You told me to throw it out. And then gets kicked out of her house for cursing and then goes back and needs $85 to pay for a new license. And he's like, well, I don't have that money. So just give me back my dues. And the guy's like, that's not how any of this works. Like you owed those dues. You don't get them back because you've decided you don't want to like buy a license too. Um, And this sort of connects to like, he paid for the merchant Marines dues and then he wanted to get that money back because of the license because he didn't realize his license had been thrown out. Because so it's like what? That. It's but like it's, what, it's, an $85, extra 80? $80. $85. And this connects to when he did that song with Justin Timberlake, he decided to not get royalties because he needed the $200. But then he finds out he actually didn't need that $200. So it would have been just smarter to take the royalties because that song is now going to blow up. And it's just like all these decisions that aren't even necessarily bad decisions at the time keep blowing up in his face. It brings me back to like that whole John Goodman, like cursing him internally forever. It's like, like you said, the, the decisions he makes isn't necessarily bad and he seems to be his own worst enemy, but then also it seems like the universe just has it out for him. But you could also just relate the whole thing off of karma. Like, he's not a good person. He's not that great of a person. He, he mooches off of people. He asks for favors without, like, giving really anything in return. So, yeah, he's a character that you sympathize with. He's our main character in the movie. But if he wasn't any of those things, he would kind of be deserving of everything that's happened to him. Yeah, but I do think there is some growth from him throughout the movie, right? Because he started to you know, in the, the scene where uh, Jean brings all his stuff to the coffee shop because she doesn't let him up, he calls her like careerist and a square and sad. And she's like, well, your life's not going anywhere. And you're just like stuck in this rut. So then he does decide, you know, maybe I'll go into the Merchant Marines. And maybe that decision was so he could send money to his child or something. But maybe, but then when he had the chance to pull into Akron, he didn't, right? Right. Well, because at that point, what does he have to offer that child? Right. Well, I mean, okay. Yeah. He doesn't have anything to offer that kid, but yeah, maybe you're right. He goes to, he wants to go to the Marines to maybe make something of himself. And and in a way you could see that at that point, he's kind of giving up on his dream, right? Until of course, Carrie Mulligan is like, Hey, uh, Gaslight Cafe is giving you another chance. 
Right, which one thing I found interesting about that is so the first time he goes to the gaslight, Jim and Gene go up there and Poppy sits by him. And Poppy just out of nowhere says, man, I really want to fuck Gene. And he just looks over at him, right? Right. And then uh, after the trip to Chicago, uh, Lewin Davis is talking to Gene. She's like really nice to him. And she's like, hey, I talked to Poppy and you got this gig at Gaslight. And the Times is going to be there and you should really do it. And you're like, why is she being so nice to him? Which you don't really get an answer why she's being nice to him. Maybe she's just calmed down and realized this isn't 100% Lewin Davis's fault. And then he tells her he loves her. But then the night before he does this amazing performance, the night he gets really messed up, Poppy is just like, he's like, you know, I fucked Gene. And he looks over at him and he's like, what? I mean, if you want to play the Gaslight... And so it's, it's like, did she have sex just with like, Poppy to get him to play, or did this happen like at the very beginning of Jim and Gene's career? Or yeah, like when he said, "I want to fuck Gene," was it like, "I want to fuck Gene again"? Right. Or did Gene finally fuck him so that Lewin Davis could play? Was this right. like her being nice to him, which is like. I, I don't, I don't, I don't know, but it, it was, it was kind of just like that whole part was like interesting to me. And like, it's, it's sort of like left unsaid how that all connected. Um, the, so he gets belligerent, right? Uh, because he finds out, he, here's what I love, right? Gene is so hard on him about getting her pregnant. Which, by the way, she's not even sure if it is Jim's kid or Lewin's kid. But the, the, the mere like, thought that it might be Lewin's kid, she has to get rid of it. And she blames it all on him, but then he brings up the good point. It takes two to tango, but she doesn't give a shit, right? She's like convinced it's his fault and whatever. And then the fact that when Poppy says he's fucked Gene, I think it put like a, a little worm in Lewin's mind that like, holy fuck, if she's fucked me and Poppy, who knows when and, you know, who else she's had sex with. So the fact that, oh, the baby could have just been between Jim and Lewin is like no more. And, and it really like, I mean, you kind of lose, you know, you don't have any real respect for, for Gene anyways, but you really lose it there when it's like, oh, she's just finding the poor sucker to pay for her abortion so her husband doesn't actually have to. But in reality, she could have had, had sex with like who knows how many guys. And that could have been like, instead of two potential fathers, it could have been like four or five potential fathers, right? I mean, yeah, but you could also look at it that she, it's just for, you know, Lewin calls her career. So it could have just been for Jim and Jean so that they could play. Or it could have been for Lewin. Like, Poppy could be just the, the only other guy. Um, and I think that's sort of, of left a little bit unsaid. Well, it's I, left I, unsaid because Lewin needs to go down the trap on being like, well, shit, I might have just paid for an abortion that really was not even my fault, you know? I mean, really, he had a freebie lined up. So it was like, when else was he going to use it? And in reality, we don't even know. The movie ends before Gene goes through with it. So the way she was acting with Lewin she might decide I want to keep this anyway because I don't hate Lewin as much anymore. And it's like, 
you know, hopefully it'll look enough like me to where we can't tell if it's Lewin's anyway. Right. And then Lewin might just, or Or Poppy. Poppy. (laughs) Or Poppy. Yeah, man. Yeah. And now Lewin has this like BOGO sale at the abortion clinic where. I think he's still only at one because he didn't pay for the second. Um, But I mean, it is like a freebie he can line up later. So the the one scene I want to talk about before I think we're going to end this, because you talked about how Lewin's very selfish in using all these people. But one of the people he uses, the Gorefines, they use him as much as he uses them. Like they love having a folk singer friend. And like when he comes over just to drop off what he thinks is their cat, he's like, I can't stay. And they like force him to stay. And then he's at dinner and they're like, oh, you want to play? And he's like, I really don't want to play. And they're like, no, let me go get the guitar. And he's like, you think I'm just saying no so that you'll like really beg me, but that's like not what's happening here. I just don't want to play. And like the thing that actually sets him off is that his friend, you know, that Mike had passed away and she starts singing Mike's part. Right. But he does sort of rip into them. Like I'm not a fucking jukebox that you just put a quarter in me and then I'm here for your, for your benefit. Like this is my career. I'm, I'm not, I shouldn't be doing freebies for you. What, what's funny, too, is that, yeah, they kind of use each other in that way, and he blew up. But then the next time they saw each other, everything's fine. Like, you know, hey, I'm sorry I blew up. That was out of line. I shouldn't have done this. And then on their part, they were like, hey, we shouldn't have asked you for this. That was out of line of us. And it's like, look, you need favors from us. We need favors from you. Let's just be friends again. And it's almost like this unhealthy cycle that's just starting back up. And it's, for me, it's just like a metaphor of his entire life. I mean, he even said he goes through his, his Brooklyn friends before he ends up with the Gorefines, you know? Yeah, his Greenwich friends. His Greenwich, I- Upper East Side. But um, it, his outburst to me was completely justified. Like, I'm totally on Lewin Davis's side for that one. Yeah, except I will say that his outburst was actually caused by thinking of his friend who had killed himself. Right. But when you actually think about like what's happening here, them asking him to play a song at dinner so that he can stay there for free a couple nights in a row each week or each month or whatever. Right. Is not that big of an ask. Well, especially when you think about that, he totally lost their cat. And then he like eats their food. He wakes up and just eats their food. I do love that. Like, after he yells at Mrs. Gorefine and she walks away and she's like, I can't be in this room. And he's like, she doesn't have to leave. I'm leaving, obviously. Right, right. And then she walks back in and like, this is a female cat. Where's the scrotum? Where's the scrotum? <laughs> Screaming it at him. And I, oh my God, there's just, I, I love this movie. I can't tell you, I can't express to you how much I love this film. Um, I, just little parts, just like, he wakes up on the floor of, of Jim and Jeans and the army guy is just eating cereal like right in front of him, like facing him. Like who does that? Slurping it, it up. It's so great. It's so weird. Um, the, the ending is what I feel like all comes together, right? It's, it's like the abortion comes up, the affair with Jean comes up with Pappy and Lewin. Lewin gets belligerent, yells at... Uh, an older lady who's performing on stage at the gaslight, he gets kicked out, which now we've come for full circle to the ending or the beginning of the movie to the ending. And now you understand in contact context that the guy outside 
it's like cast in shadow wearing the hat that beats the shit out of Lewin in the in the you know first part of the film is the lady he like embarrassed in front of the entire audience the night prior so everything's starting to make sense now what i love about the movie is that it can't end without another like giant fuck you to Lewin Davis's life and I don't know if you've caught this, and it took me like my third, fourth time watching this to like catch it. Do you know when, because at that point, yeah, he performs at the gaslight. You don't know if it goes well. You don't know if the Times has picked him up. Um, but in a way, he's kind of like moved his folk song, folk singing career aside to like focus on more like things based in reality, more grounded stuff. When he's walking to, to the backstage, the, uh, behind the building to go, you know, into his confrontation with the man with the hat, do you know who is singing on stage at that moment? I had to wait for you to get through that minute solilo soliloquy just so I could say Bob Dylan. It's Bob Dylan. It's not really Bob Dylan, but it's supposed well, it's to be Bob Dylan. <laughs> it's supposed to be Bob Dylan. And it, it's like, you, you had to look that up, right? No, I know what Bob Dylan sounds like. It sounded exactly like Bob Dylan. Oh, you knew it was Bob Dylan? Yes. Okay. Isn't that the biggest fuck you to end this movie on? Because not only is he like, folk songs back in like the early 60s was like not really like popularized until like late 60s, early 70s. He's like written it off like, hey, this isn't for me. I'm never going to get popular. This is never going to pick up. He gets the shit beat out of him in the alley, right? And at the same time, the Times is there. Bob Dylan gets up. And you have to assume, because we all know who Bob Dylan is, is that Bob Dylan is the one who gets picked up by the Times. Gets popular. He just, yeah, just he completely overshadows him. Because Lewin had a great set. Everyone was into it. Everyone was clapping at the end. And then you follow up by Bob Dylan. No, that's, that is perfect. Uh, and the other thing too is, did you notice, so he looks at this poster, The Incredible Journey, um, and like, that's like kind of sort of similar to him. Like it's, you know, he had this cat that he lost and then he lost the Gorefinds cat, but somehow it made it back. And it, I was like looking at it, I was like, that just reminds me of Homeward Bound. And then obviously Homeward Bound was just a remake of The Incredible Journey. Yep. Which I, but like, I was like, oh, that's a little cool little like teaser to have in there and it's although like the, the incredible journey came out like two years after this supposedly happened so oh okay well thanks for ruining it for me i mean it, does it ruin it no i don't think it does do you want to know hmm. who else auditioned to be lewin davis all right lay it out for me who else auditioned scott avitt of the avitt brothers okay um, Ryan Reynolds. Uh, yes. Okay. Michael Fassbender. I could see Michael Fassbender doing a good job at this. And Casey Affleck. As much as I despise Casey Affleck, I could also see Casey Affleck doing a really good job at this. Well, I, I, the thing is, is though you need the singing. And so like, obviously Scott Avett could, and there was also Connor Oberst. I have no idea who that is. I don't know. Um, but I don't know if Casey Affleck, Ryan Reynolds, or Michael Fassbender can sing. And I just love the fact that you actually have Oscar Isaacs like really singing here. So I, I don't know that that part would, any of them would have really worked for me. Yeah. I kind of like how uh, John Goodman was like ragging about 
Oscar Isaac's like ethnicity. He's like Welsh. You don't look Welsh. Is your name Pablo? It's like, it's like <laughs> I'm I'm Welsh. He's like you don't look Welsh. He's like my mother's a Titan. There you go. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And so this movie ends with like an envoi, right? He he says goodbye to the man that beat the crap out of him. It's just kind of this like weird scene. He's driving away in the taxi and he's just kind of face to black right there. Did you get like, for me, some of this, some of this was really dark and it never really got there. Cause you have to assume like if Lewin Davis thought lower of himself, he would probably kill himself. But since he thought so highly of himself, it kind of prevented that from happening to him. Yeah, no, I didn't think he was ever going to get there. I th- I thought there was, like I said, I thought there was a little bit of development and maybe now he's going to just, you know, he talks to his sister about how he doesn't want to just exist and how his father just exists and she just exists. And I think he, there's a little bit of like, you know, if his career, you know, if that night didn't work out with the times, like writing about him and, you know, getting him some publicity, he may just, you know, start just existing and kind of leading a more normal life. Um, and so I didn't really think that it was ever getting that dark. This, what I loved about this movie and what'll make me kind of watch it again is I feel like it's just such a kind of a, a day in the life, nothing story. Like I agree that there's almost kind of no plot to this. It's just like what happens to this folk singer in this like four or five day period. Um, and that's enjoyable, enjoyable to me. Cause it's just like, just like an enjoyable watch, just like a nice little, little ride. Yeah, that's how I feel every time I uh, I sit down with this film. Also, what makes this movie so easy to just watch again and again are the songs. I mean, we keep saying how great the songs are. They are really, as much as the movie and the characters in the film try to convince you that they're shit, the songs are so good and they're so fun to just listen to because you know it just tells the story of this film through song without the actual film being anywhere near a musical and it does such a good job of that but yeah i mean the like i said the film's wonderful the songs make it that much better makes makes it easy to watch and watch again and and i swear to god david i'm going to buy the vinyl to inside lewin davis i'm going to find it and i'm going to purchase it well, if it comes with like a free download, just send that my way. Deal. Okay, guys, thanks for listening to another episode of I Finally Watched. I'm Milan. And this is David. And today, I finally watched Inside Lewin Davis. <laughs>